What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. Welcome to episode 278 of the Sports Yak Podcast. You mean the Mike Cameron episode? Mike Cameron. Former South Bend White Sox. You remember when the South Bend minor league team was the White Sox? I do remember that. Mike Cameron was a member of that team. He then matriculated to the Chicago White Sox and seven other big league teams during his career. He moved around a little bit, but he always could hit the ball. 278 home runs in his big league career. Mike Cameron, good player. However, he had a little bit of a problem with the strikeout. He would do that. In fact, he wound up with more strikeouts than hits in his career. Family Broadcasting Corporation. In association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Presents Sportsiac. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived, Chuck Freebie. Forever! Speaking of playing for a lot of teams, preparing for your Chuck's Challenge this morning, Nick Foles has made the rounds. Yes, he has. My goodness. But I, I feel like, from an outside perspective, he knows his role. I'm the backup guy. I'll come in and do my best, whether it's Super Bowl MVP or this last season with the Bears. Made himself a lot of money because he was the Super Bowl MVP. There was one team on there he hit twice. Would it have been the Eagles? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 32 today. Think he's done? Oh, no. Think no, there's it, more left in the tank? I, I think as a backup quarterback, are you kidding me? He'll, he'll move around. Good guy in the locker room. Yeah. Not divisive. He'll be fine. If he doesn't stay with the Bears... He'll hook on with somebody else. A guy that's done is Philip Rivers. Look at that. Announcing this morning his retirement after 17 years in the NFL. I would ask you this. Do you think Philip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback? 
I was just going to follow up your statement by going, what will he be best known for? Not his time with the Colts, obviously. That was right. one year, one no, season. I mean, San Diego, he spent San Diego and then the L.A. Chargers as they are now. He spent the bulk of his career. Where is the bar set for a Hall of Fame quarterback? Is there a certain amount of numbers that it takes to get in? Well, see, th- therein lies a question because the Hall of Fame is always a judgment call, whether it's baseball, football, basketball. My standard has always been was the was the player in question one of the top two or three at their position during their time in the sport? Mm. Now, you might want to, if it's a baseball pitcher, I suppose you could expand that. The answer with Phillip Rivers, in my mind, is no. I mean, when you've got Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, all at the same time as Phillip Rivers, I don't consider Phillip Rivers would be, he'd be like Harold Baines. He'd be in the Hall of Very Good, but he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Because what did he ever win? Do you vote uh, for for uh, players? I I have no vote in anything. Fans have votes? No. No. So this is a committee that goes, let's Pro put him in there. Pro Football Writers Association of America has, yeah. has the vote. They will be voting soon <clears throat> on, on the Hall of Fame class because what happens is the Saturday before the Super Bowl, they unveil who the next Hall of Fame class is. Now, Phillip Rivers would have to wait five years for eligibility. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure who's on the docket for this year's class. But five years from now, 2026, when they're sitting down to look at Phillip Rivers, my question will be, is he a Hall? Now, great years, great numbers. There's no question about that. But again, to me, the Hall of Fame is the elite of the elite. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that he's there. That's my personal opinion. The Yakophiles, <laughs> they may think something else. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it comes down to numbers. It feels like there needs to be some sort of bar. How many times you've, how many years you've been in the league, uh, completed passes, touchdowns, Super Bowls, all all that stuff. Yeah, now it's like a soup. Now, is it fair to say, well, he didn't win Super Bowls, so he's not getting in? No, that that's not fair to say. Because there can be a lot of other factors that keep, you know, if that were the case, Ernie Banks would never have been in the Hall. You couldn't have put any cup from before 2016 into the Hall of Fame if it were based on playoff success or, mm-hmm. or World Series. But, you know, was Philip Rivers ever an MVP? Was Philip Rivers, again, I go back to, was he one of the dominant pl- He was very good. People respected him. You had to be prepared for him. But he played in an era where there were many great quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure he's a Hall of Famer. Well, he can take solace in the four minutes we just dedicated to him not being in the Hall of Fame. So. But it, it ramps up the question for the Indianapolis Colts now. Who's going to be your quarterback next year? And we broached this subject last week on the Yak. I don't think they want to move Jacoby Brissett up to the starter. At least not yet. 
or now they may not have any choice. Yeah, based on what happens. Where did he play college ball? Uh Jacoby Brissett. I'm not sure off the top. of my I don't head. even remember that name. You know, as yeah. much as no, he he came to recognition in New England again, kind of like Nick Foles, a backup who Second came guy. in when Tom Brady was out and and did a good job. He played. He played somewhat for the Colts, but here's the thing about Jacoby Brissett. His completion percentage isn't that great, and he doesn't throw the ball downfield. So if he's not accurate on the short passes, how is he going to move the team with regularity? Colts used him somewhat in short yardage situations this year because he is a threat to run the football. But as far as being a quarterback, if you're the Colts and you made the playoffs this year, and you're looking to take the next step. The question is, is Jacoby Brissett the guy that helps you take the next step? And the answer is no. No. You've got to go out and you've got to find yourself an established quarterback. And I know a lot of people out there are saying, well, Deshaun Watson wants to be traded. There is no way in God's green earth that the Houston Texans are trading to the Indianapolis Colts who play in their division, Deshaun Watson. That ain't happening. Mm. Get that thought out of your mind right now because that's not happening. So you're going to have to go outside the division. And I mentioned a couple that I think could be acquired. Matthew Stafford, especially with a new regime coming into Detroit and only a year left on his contract. It'd be interesting to see him in a different He would seem to be expendable. Mm -hmm. Matt Ryan in Atlanta. Again, different regime coming in. He would seem to be expendable. And those are two quarterbacks that could help the Colts right away. Okay. Otherwise, you're drafting somebody, and boy, that's a crapshoot. And who are the big-name quarterbacks in the draft? Well, Mac Jones from Alabama is the Manning Award winner, and mm-hmm. and Justin Fields from Ohio State announced yesterday he's coming out for the draft. Okay. But again, do you, do you look at Mac Jones or Justin Fields and think, oh, my gosh, this is this is Peyton Manning reincarnate. Oh, no. No. So that's why I think they have to find a way to trade for some established player. How about an Ian Book? What do you think about that? I think Ian Book, at best, is a fifth or sixth round draft choice and certainly not a transformational NFL quarterback. Okay. Fine college quarterback to an extent. I think Ian Book benefited from, let's say, a, a fairly easy schedule. He had one signature, two signature wins in his career. The Citrus Bowl game against LSU when he came off the bench and threw the long touchdown pass to Miles Boykin to win the game late. And then the win over Clemson in double overtime at the stadium. But everybody will always... I won't say always remember because always is a strong word to use. For those with good memories, they'll always put an asterisk up there saying Trevor Lawrence did not play in that game. Gotcha. Okay. Let's get into basketball. Quite an exciting game. Purdue and Ohio State last night. Wow. Sitting on my couch, enjoying my dinner, watching Purdue battle. and, And so many times in the game, I thought, Man, they're right on the brink of just going off the cliff here. 
Ohio State put together an 11-0 run late in the first half, and I thought, this could get ugly really quick for Purdue, but Purdue came back at that point with like a little 8-0 run, got themselves back in the game. And then the second half, they're, they're cruising along. They've got a chance to, I think, tie or take the lead, and Jaden Ivey's at the foul line, and he misses both free throws. <sighs> you can't do that on the road. That, that comes back to haunt you. All of a sudden, Ivy comes down. He hits a big three. He gets a, a layup. Uh, Travion Williams with a pretty move inside, and it winds up kind of going back and forth. It's 64-64. Ohio State has the ball. They miss a shot. They knock the ball out of bounds with 26 seconds left. Purdue comes down, and Ivy's holding the ball out by half court, just dribbling there, waiting for time to tick off the clock. And as the clock hits 10, he goes into motion, and Rob Blackman has the call. Now at 15, now 14. Ivy will set the offense into motion as now we are at 10. Ivy to the high right wing on the dribble. Step back, deep three. Oh, my goodness! Triple time! Jaden Ivy. Purdue has the lead. Here come the Buckeyes. And a foul, a great foul by Aaron Wheeler. On a play like that, has Matt Painter said, you start moving at 10 seconds or 8 seconds? Yeah, he'll give him an indication from the bench as to when. Like, go time. Yeah, okay. and and that's when they go. The thing about that move, it it's a lot like a move that you'll see from a James Harden in the NBA. He crosses to his right, gets the defender moving one way. Once the defender is moving, then he can take the jab step back to give himself space to get off the shot. The difference between what Ivy did and a lot of lesser players do is typically when lesser players start take that jab step back, they keep fading away and make it a much tougher shot. Ivy takes the jab step back, but he keeps his shoulders square over his feet, goes up square to the basket, and that's why he's able to drain the shot. And it's a shot that puts Purdue up 67-64. It was very pretty. It was. And then, and for a freshman to do that, and particularly a freshman who's been in a shooting slump, as Jaden Ivey discussed after the game. All across of my teammates for, you know, instilling that confidence in me. And my mom, you know, I was thankful she was able to be here today. I just, you know, walked out there. I was in tears because, you know, we, we both love this game so much. And, you know, I, I just love her so much and I'm thankful for her. You know, I've been in the slump, and she's been she's been there for me. You know, um, so I'm just thankful she came to this game, and I was I was just thankful we could you know get the player. You hear the emotion in his voice, not just because he just saw his mother in the hallway, and who knows the last time that he got a chance to see mom. She was there in the arena, which was great for Niel to be able to go and see that, but just the fact that winning means so much to him. And the investment that he has to put in, I think sometimes we forget that the successful athlete, and it's not just limited to athletics, the successful fill-in-the-blank puts in a lot of effort that you don't see, typically, to get good at their craft. In the case of Jaden Ivey, he's in a shooting slump. The last game at Mackey Arena that they had, I think it was, 
you know, they had just gotten done beating Indiana. They played Penn State Sunday. He did not shoot well in that game. And 10 minutes after the game is over, and of course you can do this with no fans in the stands, you would have had to wait longer under normal circumstances. But 10 minutes after the game is over, he's back on the floor working on his craft, trying to find his shot, trying to find what he can do to get better. And you noted earlier today, we saw a picture of this, you noted earlier today, it came at pretty much the same spot. Yeah. That he hit the shot from last night. Like he was sitting at three-point land. You know, this reminds me of a year ago with Kobe Bryant, and you start hearing the stuff behind the scenes of, like, taking 400 shots at the free throw line, Mm -hmm. meeting with his trainer whoever early in the morning to work the shot. He just wasn't born that way. That was hard work. It does. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. Listen to you. Is that a is that a freebie bumper sticker? Yeah, that is. That felt good. It felt real good. What kind of font did you use on the bumper sticker? Uh, Arial 12. Thank you. Uh, nevertheless, you see, <laughs> did you like the way I was ready you for that ready. answer? I thought you were going to go to Homa. You surprised me no, with no, Area no. 12. Yeah, Arial 12. <laughs> Look it up. Just like that script in front of you. Yes. So anyway, Jaden Ivey hits the shot. Purdue has now won four straight. Uh, They are still very much in the Big Ten race. The team leading the way in the Big Ten race is Michigan. I watched this last night. Woo! They're good, aren't they? They are so good. I can't stand Michigan, but, man, they're good. And and they're fun to watch because they share the ball. I mean, Isaiah Livers had 20 to lead the way. They share the ball. They get after you on defense. They get in your grill. And offensively, they just have so many different weapons that can hit you in so many ways. They could go to that big freshman Dickinson inside sometimes. Livers can hit the outside shot, but he can also slash to the basket. Very difficult to defend. And they steamrolled Maryland last night, something like 87-63. So they are 7-1 and now in the Big Ten. Iowa is a half game back at 6-1. and Iowa plays Indiana tomorrow night at home. I was won five in a row, and of course the Hoosiers are just a hot mess. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Archie's got any answers. I mean, I w- I would love to see, especially because they're on our air, and I want Indiana to do well so that we get more advertisers, more sponsors. I would love to see the Hoosiers come up with some answers, but where are they going to come from? Because it doesn't take a genius to decide, okay, we're going to guard Trace Jackson Davis, and we're going to try to limit him, and we're going to try to force Indiana to shoot from the outside because guess what? They don't do that very well. Now, occasionally, Al Durham will get on a hot streak, or Armand Franklin will get on a hot streak. Maybe Rob Fennessy in his dreams might hit a couple of threes. Galloway has not been a good three-point shooter this year. He's more of a, a slasher and a, a driver, and he, he plays good defense, and Trey does a lot of good things. We shared an article on the 46 Sports Twitter account talking about how his very presence and the way he plays is kind of changing the culture back to the old-school Indiana basketball. But this is the problem. Why should Trey Galloway's presence as a freshman 
be changing things for IU basketball. Shouldn't that culture already be there? In place. But we have drifted so far from the Bob Knight era of IU basketball. A lot of that by design. Indiana has made conscious decisions to avoid any kind of connection to Bob Knight. And it shows. Because they haven't been very good since he left. Mike Davis had a great year right after Knight left. And unfortunately, Mike Davis never was a connection with most of the Indiana fan base. And I'll say it out loud. I think it's because he was black. I think a lot of the Indiana fan base had problems with a black coach at that time. Then Kelvin Sampson came in, and he's as crooked as a day is long. And Tom Crean came in to clean it up, and the fan base never... To me, Tom Crean was doing fine, but the fan base never gave him a chance. And then it was all about Archie Miller, and Archie Miller has not been the answer. Mm-hmm. Six years now? Uh, no, this is year five. Five. Year five, but it's it's not working. And if I'm Scott Dolson, the Indiana Athletic Director... I mean, you wait till the end of the year because you want to be fair to a coach and give them a chance, and maybe they can turn around, and Thursday night at 9 against Iowa would be a great time to start that turnaround. But as I watch Indiana play, I don't see a team with the answers. There was a Michigan-Maryland moment last night, and there was a battle under the basket. Michigan player kind of came down on a Maryland guy's face. Happens to be the face of the kid whose face is broken. Right oh. now, and he had a mask on, and technicals were handed out. And my wife made this comment, and I thought, I'm with you on this one. Why, if your face your face is broken, mm-hmm. you're in the game? And I said, well, let's, let's play detective work. He's probably one of their best players, and they need him badly. Uh, it's been a week and a half, I think the announcer said. So surgery the day after it happened, and he's got the face. But... At the same time, I'm also like, if your face is broken, let's get that thing healed before you're taking elbows to the neck and the, you know. Obviously, somebody on the staff, a trainer, a doctor, somebody, yeah. approved the fact that he could be out there. You're good to go. Yeah. Is he in pain? Oh, it looked like it smarted, too, when he took Well, the- when it, when he got hit, oh. I bet it did. Yes. when he, But is he in pain on a normal? Yeah. You know, and you know how it is. I mean, and I'm I'm going to compare this, and this is going to be an apples and oranges comparison. But you you get a you start coming down with a cold or something like that, and you're like, I can tough this out. I I can get through this. Mm-hmm. And then eventually something happens, and you you either get past it, or you have the setback, right? Yes. And I I think you're coming back from this. I assume a broken nose. And you're coming back from this, and you're like, I want to play. I'm good to go. Yeah, it's it's a little uncomfortable. I'll put the mask on it. I'll be okay. And then maybe you're not. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should start wearing football helmets. Well, given the contact that happens in some of these <laughs> Big Ten games, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Wouldn't that be something, Chuck Creepy? How about we talk about some local basketball happening in Michiana? On the high school scene last night, good game over at the Palace. Penn and Northridge, and man, Northridge came out smoking. 
Carter Stoltzfus scored 17 points in the first quarter. Looked like the Raiders were going to blow out the Kingsmen. And then Penn started sniping threes. Between the two teams, they hit 23 three-pointers in the ball game. Wow. Northridge wins at 72-64. Big night for Sam Smith. He had 31 points. That's a couple of points behind his career high. Carter Stoltzfus with 28. Northridge now 8-3 and three on the year. And, and Penn has played a very rugged schedule. I mean... They're not backing down from anybody, but it's been a little bit of a trip on the struggle bus for the Kingsmen. They're four and six right now. Northridge's next game is at home against Mishawaka, and lo and behold, Ron Eklinski's Mishawaka Cavemen are seven and one on the season, despite nearly blowing a big lead at Clay last night. They hang on for dear life and win sixty four sixty three. Trent Johnson with twenty one, Maddox Yohe with fourteen. So the Cavemen are putting together a very nice season in their first year in the NLC. Now, the meat of their NLC schedule is still to come. But that said, I'm Ron Eklinski does a great job year in and year out of getting the most out of his talent. And he's found a way to do it again at Mishawaka. Uh, some other games last night. Of note, uh, Rochester is now 8-1. and one. They shut down Caston 41-29, so the Zebras are having a very good year. And uh, since we last chatted with you on the Yak, we now can say with certainty who our game of the week will be Friday night. It will be New Prairie at Bremen in the semifinals of the Bi-County Tournament. New Prairie had to scratch out a win over Argus on Monday night. I was down at the Dragon's Den for that one. Argus came out hot. New Prairie finally was able to get their offense sparked by playing with energy on the defensive end, and that kind of got everybody fired up, and they were able to hit some shots with Braden Flagg, their top scorer, who Argus did a very good job on. Grady Lepchinski really kept New Prairie in that game, hitting three threes in the first quarter. Lepchinski finished with 14 to lead the Cougars, and they'll take on the Bremen Lions on Friday night. Bremen had its hands full at Culver on Monday, but prevailed 37-31. And so Matt Miller, in his first year as the Lions head coach, has had some big wins. He knocked off Gordon Mawson and Argus. He knocked off Al Rhodes and Penn. Uh, now he's going to try to go after Mike Bauer as Bauer goes for his 100th career win on Friday night as the head coach of the New Prairie Cougars. Here's how our Friday nights go now. Little uh, WandaVision. On Disney, little servant on Apple TV, right up to game time with you on uh, YouTube. Well, see, game times, <laughs> you may have to alter your routine because game time's a little earlier this Friday. How early? It's a 6.30 start. Oh, nice. For you. So you can save something for after the game, perhaps. I like where your head's at. And I like where the broadcast is at on YouTube. And Facebook and the IHSA Champions Network. Nice. Girl side of the ball? Boy, a couple of... Great overtime games last night. Penn and Knox cobbled together a game with everything going on with COVID. Uh, Both teams had openings. And so Knox, which has had the second best record over the last four years in girls basketball in the area, played the team with the best record over the last four years, and that's Penn. Honey of a game, it went to overtime. And the Lady Kingsmen prevail by a count of 46-39. 
And Penn will try to wrap up the NIC title tonight as it goes to Northside Jim to take on Elkhart. Meanwhile, Plymouth needed double overtime to get past Winnemac, 47-41. And a couple of milestone wins last night. Lakeland picked up its 16th win of the year. Easy victory. I believe they beat uh, Busco last night, but it really doesn't matter. They are now 16-5. and That's the most wins for a Lakeland girls basketball team in the last 25 years. Bethany Christian picked up an easy win over Concord last night. Kristen Parsons' ball club is now 15-5. and five. That's the most wins for a Bethany Christian girls basketball team since 1989 when Dan Boddicker was the head coach over at Bethany. Bethany has a big game at home. They call their home arena the Menolands. Oh. Yeah. They have a big game at home <laughs> Thursday night against Goshen. Goshen is 15-3. and three. That's the best winning percentage of any Goshen girls basketball team in history. So Goshen and Bethany not separated by all that much in the Maple City. Too bad the fans can't really turn out for that game on Thursday night because that should be a good one. Bethany's got a very young team, a couple of freshmen. Uh, Mariah Stoltzfus is uh, one of their top players. And uh, Sarah Brenneman, and, or excuse me, Sadie Brenneman. And they'll be go up against this Goshen squad with Bryn Shoop Hill, the young lady that's headed to Dayton. Hot stove cooking in baseball. Corey. Come on now. Chicken pot pie? I know you're a Cubs fan. I am. I don't know if they're going to be watchable in 2021. Oh, great. Now, last year it was because we didn't know if we were going to get the marquee network. This year it's just because you don't know if you're going to want to watch them. <laughs> Kyle Hendricks may have to pitch every day. Jose Quintana is the latest pitcher to bolt Chicago. He will now pitch for the Angels with Joe Madden. So the Cubs have lost John Lester to the Washington Nationals, Tyler Chatwood to the Toronto Blue Jays, and now they lose Jose Quintana to the Angels. So who's, the, who's the guy making these decisions? Well, Jed Hoyer is the new general manager. Okay. And you might say, well, Jed Hoyer's an idiot. Jed Hoyer is more than likely carrying out orders from the Ricketts family to trim the payroll for whatever reason. I don't know if the Cubs had a bad year financially last year. I imagine a lot of Major League Baseball teams had bad years financially last year with no fans in the stands. That said, they are cutting payroll off this boat like nobody's business. The thing is... There's nobody in their division going out and and raking in players. You know, Toronto last night went out and got George Springer. Six years, $150 million. And now they have one of the most potent lineups in Major League Baseball with Springer and Kevin Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and that whole group up there. I mean, Toronto's got some sluggers on that team. They're going to be fun to watch. The White Sox have a good team put together in the AL Central. But you look in the NL Central, I mean, I would still take the Cardinals as the favorites because they've they've got Paul Goldschmidt, who is a very talented power-hitting first baseman, and every time he sees Cubs pitching, he lights it up. Um, but really, there's nobody in that division right now where you say, 
man, they've they've gone out and really improved themselves in the offseason. There's still some free agents out there, but if I were looking at the Cubs rotation today after Kyle Hendricks, I couldn't really tell you who the second starter would be hmm. or the third. So we'll see what Jed does. He's still got some time before camp opens in about the middle of February, but uh, time time's a-wasting here, Jed. Let's go. We're going to see some uh, higher-quality players in South Bend, I hear. Well, South Bend uh, renewed its lease with the South Bend Cubs, and uh, they will be here until 2041. They signed a 20-year lease, and it had been decided by Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball went through and kind of trimmed out, weeded out, pruned the minor leagues, so to speak. And so now the Midwest League will be considered high A ball, which means you should see a little bit better caliber of player here than you saw before. What's the pecking order now? Like, is it still Iowa, then Florida, then us? Yeah, it's Iowa. I believe the Cubs double A team is in Tennessee. Oh, okay. And then uh and then South Bend. Okay. So Eugene, which used to be below South Bend, they're out of the picture now. Uh, you would sp- still probably have your rookie league down in Arizona. So players would come from there up to South Bend. So they've basically kind of taken out some layers of the process. Okay. But also in baseball, um, boy, this is a sordid story, this Jared Porter thing with the Mets. Jared Porter was working in the front office with the Cubs in 2016. And apparently he was quite smitten with one of the female reporters who covered the Cubs. And um, was sending her explicit texts and pictures, uh, of allegedly of himself, to her phone. Uh, finally, after about the 60th unsolicited text or picture in a row, the reporter said, please stop, you're being offensive. At 60? Yeah. (laughs) Please stop, you're being offensive and inappropriate, and wow, I don't want to see any more of this. And then he, you know, then he apologized. But this reporter finally uh, spoke up to ESPN and said enough is enough. Well, it happened to be after Porter had taken the general manager's job of the New York Mets. Now, the Mets have been very active in the offseason since Porter was the general manager. They had that big trade with Cleveland. They went out and got Francisco Lindor, a terrific shortstop. They got Carlos Carrasco, a terrific pitcher. But now Porter's days with the Mets are done after the ESPN story ran on Monday. The Mets fired him yesterday. And so they go looking for a general manager. And more and more female reporters, females in baseball, need to speak up. I saw an interesting interview with Jessica Mendoza yesterday. Jessica Mendoza has been the third voice on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball games, along with Matt Vaskersian and Alex Rodriguez. And Jessica Mendoza was a... uh, world-class softball player, and she's been brought into the ESPN booth. And they asked her about, you know, what, what contact with players and coaches is like for her as a female. And she said, typically it's been fine 
in the years preceding last year. The problem she had last year was you weren't on site. You couldn't go down to batting practice and talk to players and ask them what they were working on. So everything had to be done via phone contact. She said, as a female, I feel like I can't get a player's phone number and text him. That that There's got to be a go-between person, an office person, a, an assistant. Or, or you set up a Zoom chat or something like that. Yeah, speakerphone, but, something. But she said because of that, she felt very inhibited in her role because, and we've all seen this happen in text conversation, text can be interpreted so differently. Yes, they can. Than what face-to-face and voice contact can. Mm-hmm. So she felt very inhibited in her job just because of her gender. And really, that should not be that way. And then one other baseball note, Don Sutton has passed away, the Hall of Fame pitcher. 325 wins in his big league career. Like Mike Cameron, he pitched for a few different teams, but primarily with the Dodgers. One of the great pitchers of his era, which is why he's in the Hall of Fame. And if you look at major league pitchers, I think the stat was over 300 wins, over 3,000 strikeouts, ERA below 3.5. I think there's four pitchers on the list, and I think it goes Walter Johnson, Steve Carlton, Nolan Ryan, Don Sutton. That's it. That's the list. Mm. Okay. So one of the best in his business, the pride of Cleo, Alabama, went on to become a very good broadcaster with the Atlanta Braves in his later years. We won't talk hockey because the Blackhawks still stink. (laughs) We will mention that Tiger Woods is on the shelf for a little bit. He had another back surgery. I think this is his fifth one, Corey. Mm. Um, this one was a what they call a minor procedure, which, of course, a minor procedure is something that's done to anybody that's not you. And uh, <laughs> Tiger had some nerve pain alleviated in his lower back, so he's going to miss the next two tournaments, which are out there on the California circuit, which he typically likes to play. So we'll see when he can get back and ready. I would still think that he's going to be good to go for the Masters in April, but you never know with a back problem. Back surgeries and procedures make me nervous. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right, let's get into it. Underrated or overrated? I can't believe we haven't talked about this one, but they came up last night, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I can't wait to hear this. I, I know you follow this person. I don't know if you follow. I think you follow them on Twitter. Super 70 Sports. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. He asked the question last night, and I didn't want to bring the same question to the table, but he asked the question last night, MV, musical MVP of the decade of the 70s. So he goes from Jan, and he goes, now this one's limited, January 1 to 1972, December 31st, 1979. So quickly, I Google most number one hits in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And Were you answer- surprised by what you saw? No. No, Not at it all. wasn't. Um. I thought there were a lot of candidates, but the most number one hits in the 70s were the Bee Gees, Mm. the Brothers Gibb, if you will. 
And so, Corey, man, I turn to you and I ask you, are the BGs overrated or underrated? When I hear the word BGs, I think of two memories super fast. First memory was my dad hooking up the Christmas tree lights to the stereo console in the living room. And he said, now our lights will dance to the music we play on the record player. How cool is that if you're a kid? And I thought it was a big deal. But one would think that he would grab a Christmas album to launch this idea. Instead, he grabbed the Spirits Having Flown album and went with Tragedy by the Bee Gees. Tragedy? Which, ironically, is a great theme for my parents' marriage. Oof. The second one is, do you remember James Michael? Do you remember that name? No. Part-timer in radio, kind of bounced around a little bit locally, but oh, he was yes. he was upstairs when you were downstairs a couple of times. Yes. He came in one day, and he was so excited to show off his new tattoo. Well, what'd you go get? And he lifted up his, uh, his pant leg, and he had a full-color Bee Gees logo on his leg. Bee Gees. That's what he went with for a tattoo. The round with the B and the G. Wow. That's what he went with because they're legendary. Wow. I'm going to go down the middle. You mentioned Bee Gees memories, and of course, this one isn't directly the Bee Gees, but I can't help but smile and chuckle because I think of the SNL skit. Oh. With Fallon and Timberlake and the Barry Gibb talk show. Which I just watched last weekend. Oh, introduced my son to it. Tremendous. <laughs> just the talking <laughs> and the... Apparently there's a stellar Bee Gees documentary on HBO right now. Oh, okay. But I'm not paying for that. They are definitely not overrated. No. I, I think the fact that they were able to... I mean, the Bee Gees were... Of still a popular act and still music influencers beginning in the late 60s, really. I think they transcended disco. They did. And that that's, you put into words what I was trying to get across. Yeah. Was they, they were able to make the disco era work for them. They weren't a product of the disco era. No. They adapted and then were able to morph out of that as well. Adapt and survive. So I give them great credit for that. Yes. And I think they were an influence on other acts as well. I'm going to say they're underrated. Underrated. All right. Down the middle for me, underrated for Chuck. Now, in the spirit of the Bee Gees, while they weren't necessarily a boy band. <laughs> but they were kind of that age. They so Well, I mean, I'm sure their posters were up, especially Andy. Mm-hmm. Andy with the... He was the youngest, right? Well, he was his own Gib. Right. He was almost like the one uh, musketeer that kind of comes in to help, the fourth. D'Artagnan? Yeah, he's the D'Artagnan <laughs> of the Bee Gees. But well, anyway. I didn't think I'd say that today. No, that, that's Andy a Andy Gibb is the D'Artagnan. Especially on Sports Yak. Of the Bee Gees. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I'm, I'm going to throw out sync. Man, dude, I played that music. I know you did. I, from from the beginning of that career of those guys, I think numbers-wise, and we'd have to look this up, I think Backstreet Boys 
has the higher number count on hits and sales. Now help me out. Which one was the Wahlberg group? That's New Kids on the Block. That's New Kids on so the Block. So that's pre-NSYNC. That's, yeah. that's 80s. The, NSYNC's the bass. Lance Bass, right? Lance Bass, Justin Timberlake. Yes. And the others. Yes. I uh, I actually liked them. And I I recall thinking Justin Timberlake was the one that surprised me to become the superstar. I thought it would be the other guy. Lance Bass. No, I thought... Uh, or J.C. Yeah. Chazé, his, that oh. guy. No relation to Shazay Smith, who gives me those lottery numbers, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> J.C. Shazay. I thought he'd be the the big guy, but uh, I would say, um, I'd say down the middle with them as well. I they, they, they knew what they were doing. They were hit monsters. They survived that era. There was a lot of dealings going on behind the scenes with their manager, who also managed Britney Spears. What was, his, what was that guy's name? He's in jail now. He was, he's a bad dude. Oh. Um. Oh, I'd know it if I saw it, but I, I'll go down the middle with them. Go I'm the going to defer. I I probably was not aware of anything musically going on during that time. You never of, leaned over to the radio and turned it up a bit for "Bye Bye Bye" or "Bye Bye Bye." I enjoy, I mean, I enjoyed some of their work. I couldn't evaluate them on a whole. Mm-hmm. Never saw them live. Never saw them. I thought I would have. I didn't. Are you glad about that? Uh, no, I would have loved to have to have that in my roster of of hits. Okay. Let me end you. Let me end you. Got, are you done? I I am done. Let me end you with this. January twentieth, nineteen eighty three. I celebrated already on my way in. This I would say is one of the greatest rock records of all time. Really? Oh, every song. Did you listen to these guys at all during this era? This, to me, is every sports team getting ready for Friday night football in the locker room. Oh, I mean, you were going to hear some Def Leppard in a locker room in the 80s. There's no question about that. I remember staring at the album cover going, there's like a target on the building window, and someone exploded it and shot it. It's so great. I I can picture... One of the guys coming in with the big boom box. Oh, yeah. Playing this on the cassette player. Anyways, Def Leppard Pyromania came out today, 1983. Saw them, uh, I've seen them four times. All without an arm. Post <laughs> post car accident. Well, that'll happen. Drummer without an arm. Yes. Uh, Def Leppard story real quick for you. There was a guy that worked overnights at AOR. Back in the day, mm-hmm. remember our buddy Gary Heglin and John oh, Vance yeah. over there. Sure, the overnight guy's name was Lenny Wolf, the Wolf Man. Oh, what a great! Now, was that his actual name or was that his radio name? <laughs> One wonders. Yeah, and Lenny had his Marantz recorder. Do you remember those? And he yes. had a microphone, oh, and yeah. we were allowed to get some liners and IDs from Def Leppard. Oh, nice! And so I went first. I wasn't allowed to bring mine in for some reason, but Lenny's like. Let's do yours. I'll record them for you, and I'll send them to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because in my mind, all radio people get along. (laughs) (laughs) They all get along, Chuck. Oh, I love a naive little Corey man. So I tried to write some creative stuff. We were playing a bunch of Def Leppard at the time Mm -hmm. at U93. Yeah. And the drummer was reading these, and he's like, in the microphone, these are the stupidest things I've ever read. 
What a waste of my time. Uh, you know, this is just dumb. And then he'd read another one. He's like, just stupid. And then he read the AOR liners. Fast forward years later, I never got them. Of course I not. never got the liners. But people had heard them because Morning Man, John Vance, played the crap out of them. Them making fun of us. <laughs> he, and he would tell me that later on when he was in Fire Chief World. He's like, hey, I got to tell you something. Because we were on at the same time, so I never knew that he was doing that. But apparently, he played those. They had a bunch of nice beeps in them and whatnot because, you know, I did get cussed out a couple times. Nice. Never trust another DJ Oh gosh, with no. your Morants. No, 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 no. <laughs> I like this you episode. You honestly thought. Hey, I was that a competitive yes. station would just go up and say, here you go. Well, he offered. If I would have said, hey, would you mind doing this for me? Well, absolutely not. You should have brought your own stuff. But he offered. The Wolfman. Hey, man, I got you. I got you covered, little oh, guy. Oh, he's got you all right. I got you covered. And then lo and behold, I never got my reel to reel. Oh. He's giving John Vance bits. Giving him bits in the morning. Look how that turned out. You can buy a Powerball ticket. Is it uh, is it high? It, well, it's really high. How high? Like uh, over a half million. Mm. Or a half, excuse me, half over a half billion. billion. Yeah, probably not. I tend to get my hopes up over the wrong I things. I know, I know. Yeah. But if I did win, I'd hire you to be my spokesperson. Apparently you'd need me to <laughs> because you've been hiring the wrong people over the years. The Wolfman. The Wolfman. Probably howling about that one for a long time. Gosh. Do we give a shout out to this coach you met the other night? Ben that Wigginson listens? and his son. Love listening to the yak. What's his name? Ben Wigginson. He's Wigginson. the assistant coach at New Prairie. I'll see him Friday night. Sent me a sent me the stats and a nice note that he listens to the yak. Sounds like a butler's name from a Sandler movie. Wigginson. Oh, he's he's good dude. All right. Don't you be don't you be messing with Ben. I met Wigginson. that in a complimentary way. I'm sure you did. <laughs> You're on Twitter, right? I am at 46 Sports. I'll hang around there at my name is Corey Sports Yak with two Ks. Until next time, Yak fans. Oogalooga, Mike Cameron. Not Kirk Cameron. Mike Cameron. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. Sports Yak is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.